As we begin here today, you might uh, take a moment, if you brought your Bible with you, to turn to Ephesians 6. Uh, We'll be continuing in uh, Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17, which we began a few weeks ago preparing for battle. Part 1, part 2, and today part 3, in putting on the full armor of God. A little over 75 years ago, it was on August 6th, 1945, the U.S. Army Air Force dropped a five-ton uranium fission bomb, nicknamed Little Boy, over the Japanese city of Hiroshima. The blast was equivalent to the power of 15,000 tons of TNT, and in the end, reduced over four square miles of the city to ruins, immediately killing over 80,000 people. Three days later, August the 9th, the U.S. Army Air Force once again mounted up in the air and detonated a plutonium implosion bomb nicknamed Fat Man over the Japanese city of Nagasaki. The blast was, that one, equivalent to 22,000 tons of TNT. It took the lives of an estimated 60 to 80,000 people. Now the ethics of those bombings at the end of World War II and their role in Japanese surrender are today still subject to great debate But what cannot be denied is the potential of the power that was shown in those activities. What cannot be denied is the power of those weapons of mass destruction. See, over the centuries, people have figured out how to harness power for good and ill. Power and energy, ocean tides have been harnessed with turbines to create electricity. Moving water dammed up and going through turbines also have created great power for cities worldwide. Air current now is harnessed through windmills. Power can be destructive, but it can also be used for good. It can be used to build up, and it can be used to tear down. There is even power in the spoken word. Luke records for us in Acts chapter 7, Verse 22, that Moses was educated in all learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power in words and deeds. There's no denying there are powerful things in this world. We've been reminded that there are powerful things that we cannot even see for our struggle is not against 
flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul has told us, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist these powers in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Paul tells us, prepare for battle. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we consider the power in this world, we would consider that the power of your word is more powerful than anything that we can see or even imagine. Overwhelm us, O Lord God, by the power of your Spirit that we might hear the sound of your voice speaking clearly to us this day through your word of power. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul tells us, prepare for battle. And that's what we've been doing, is preparing for battle over the past few weeks as we consider that passage that is before us in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. As we prepare, we are told to take up and to put on. Paul says, therefore, Take up, in verse 13, the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. He tells us to put on the belt of truth, first of all, which refers to God's truth, that is, the doctrine of the Scriptures, our Christian doctrine, and that belt of truth also refers to truthfulness, that is, our character molded and shaped by that doctrine. Christians, as believers, we must know and understand biblical truth, our only rule for faith and practice. Christians, As believers, we are called to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Lest we feed upon the doctrine of God's Word. So we might go about doing 
that doctrine from day to day. Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, that righteousness that we were reminded is both the imputed righteousness, that is the righteousness of Christ placed to our account and received by faith alone, that righteousness that is credited to us because of Christ's righteousness, put on that breastplate of righteousness that we might be able to stand It's also that actual righteousness, that specific acts of personal obedience that come out of the righteousness of Christ that has been placed to our account and which we desire to live more and more by God's grace according to God's word. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness has to do with a daily moment by moment obedience to God. And as soldiers in the military are issued full battle gear, so the soldier of Christ is told to put on the full armor of God. That includes the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. We should be ready to share, step by step, moment by moment, the good news of the gospel of peace to all people. And where does that start? It starts right here. Right there with each one of you, with each one of us, because we were so aptly reminded that we are a lot worse off than we think we are. But in Jesus, we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. See, we have to stop and think and know that we are still sinners. Saved by God's grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we put on the the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace and upon our heads we put that shield of faith. Standing behind the knowledge and the assurance that gives us confidence in God and His promises to those he calls into the Lord's army, that we are safe and secure, even our heads that are most vulnerable from attack. We need not fear, for the Lord our God is with us. Christ our Savior has gone before us and has conquered both his and our enemies. We know that, don't we? In our heads and deep within our hearts. That helmet of salvation, I jumped a little bit ahead there, is something that does protect us through that knowledge of that righteousness and faith that God gives us Himself. But lest we stop there and miss probably, I think, the most important weapon in this arsenal of armor that God has given to us. There's one more piece of battle gear. The sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, Paul says, And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
It's interesting that as Paul lists all of these pieces of battle gear, this is the only weapon that is given to us that is both defensive in that we use it to defend the faith, but it is also offensive and we use it to go after the enemy through faith. In light of the fact that a typical Roman soldier, and Paul would have been very familiar with this as he was in prison when he was writing Ephesians and probably had these guards heavily geared around him, he knew that Roman soldiers carried two weapons, a sword and a spear. Paul would have known that, and yet he names only one weapon because one is all the Christian soldier needs. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul could have used another word here. As in many languages, there are multiple words for similar words in that language. So Paul, and I won't labor you with the Greek distinctions of these words unless you want to know them afterwards, and I might bend your ear for a time about the the Greek words that are here, but hopefully we can draw this distinction uh, clearly. Paul could have used another word here for a long sword. But he chose to use a word here that referred to a short sword. This is not the long, Thracian, broad sword, but is a smaller, double-edged weapon used for close hand-to-hand combat. The sword that was used for combat in which those engaged in battle got up close and personal. You couldn't stand from a distance You had to get close in order to use this weapon. The Roman soldier kept this weapon in a sheath, easily accessible, and used it to advance and defend against the enemy. What would happen if he were on the battlefield and he kept that sword in that sheath? It would do absolutely no good, would it, if it stayed in the sheath? Is it enough simply to have that weapon, to possess it as an effective weapon? What good is the sword if that particular soldier that had that weapon was sleeping or not paying attention? This, we are told, the sword of the Spirit is what? It is the Word of God. What good is the sword of the Spirit in the hands of a Christian soldier against the attacks of the enemy, of Satan himself, if it lies unopened on our bedside table or our bookshelves? What good is that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? Is it if it's gathering dust on our bookshelf? It's not enough simply to possess the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One, Paul says, must know how to use it. 
And it's not enough simply to own a Bible. One must be familiar with its contents and know how to apply its truths. Richard Baxter, Puritan writer, who wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor, and I think Matthew has already read that. Anytime I taught pastoral theology class, that was one of the very first books that I had the class read. He says this, the devil is a greater scholar than you. Which simply means we ought to be better scholars than him. And how do we do that? We have to open and use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, here again, as there are a couple different words for sword in the New Testament, there are a couple different words for word in the New Testament. The most common word for word in the New Testament is that word that you have probably often heard is logos. It's where we get our English word logical, logos. Okay? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. We recognize that from John 1, 1. And the word became flesh, John 1, 14, and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here is the logos, the eternal word of God. For God so loved the world, and He gave us His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, here is another word found in the Scriptures that often, oftentimes many of us have memorized. Here is a word that Paul refers to when he uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He doesn't use the word logos. He uses a word that indicates a saying, a group of words, a phrase, something to be memorized and hidden in our hearts. Another word For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Those are words from the Scriptures, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So this word that Paul uses for word literally means a saying, a phrase, a particular portion of God's written revelation given to us. Here's another one from the Old Testament. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We are to apply, Paul says, 
the word of God, calling to mind, sword of the spirit, the word of God, specific portions of scripture. I said a few weeks ago that God never commands us to do something that Jesus Christ hasn't already done on our behalf, or even showing us an example that it can be done through Him. Here, the living Word, the Logos, Jesus Christ, used this sort of Word that Paul is talking about here. When Jesus was taken, uh, as He began His earthly ministry, taken into the wilderness, and the tempter came and said to Him, If you are the Son of God... Command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It was as if Jesus were saying to the tempter, were saying to Satan himself, Look, guy, it really doesn't matter whether uh, I have physical bread to eat, God, my Father, will preserve my life for as long as He wants. He will do with it what He wants. What really matters is whether I believe God or not. Whether I believe God's Word to me or not. And if I doubt His Word... It's as if Jesus were saying this, all is lost. Because His Word is life and breath to me. We know that the devil took Jesus into the holy city and had Him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And He said to Him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. What does the enemy do? He quotes scripture. It is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered likewise with scripture, with the word from God. On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy again, chapter 6, verse 16, using Scripture to interpret Scripture, which is the first law of biblical interpretation. When we have a question about what Scripture says, I'd like to say the first place you need to go is to Matt, the seminary student, and let him answer your question. But the first place you need to go is the first place that he should go, that I should go, is back to the Scriptures and let Scripture interpret Scripture Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Almost as if he were saying, Satan, you want me to put God to the test? What you have to understand and consider is this, that it is not God who is to be tested. I am the one being tested. My responsibility is not to test, but to trust, as is our responsibility. Well, Satan comes back one more time. 
The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, Jesus again responds a third time using the word of God to turn aside and preserve his standing before God. To preserve the one who is tempted. What does Jesus do? He uses the word of God because he knows the word of God. It is written, it is written, It is written, Jesus said. He drew upon specific portions, specific sayings of the Scriptures to attack the advances of Satan. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, the one in whom Satan could find no fault, no wrong, whose eyes were always upon the glory set before Him. Even when facing the cross, who was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. If Jesus drew the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, against the enemy, how much more should we draw that very same sword against that very same enemy? Equipped with specific words of God as we take an offensive stand against the enemy. Okay, I can hear the gears working. You're saying, Pastor, I have to memorize the Scriptures? I have to memorize the Word of God? Well, you know, I've got a general idea about what the Word says, about what the Bible's all about, and I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Isn't that enough? I'm going to say, no, it is not enough. According to Ephesians 6.17, we must know the specific sayings of the Scripture, taking those words into our hearts and minds in order to have them there, hidden there, so the Holy Spirit can draw them out at the proper time. When I, we moved back from, to the south from Michigan, we moved to Arlington, Texas. I was still practicing architecture, was not a pastor, had thought about it, but the details and the specifics of a call really were just sort of fuzzy in my head and mind. And God knew what He was doing when He drew us to this particular church. In Arlington, Texas, a church plant being organized by a man who happened to have been a navigator. A group of men who believed very firmly in memorizing the Word of God. This pastor 
organizing pastor of that church, was also very committed to evangelism explosion. And many of you have been involved with that outreach and evangelism activity, and you know they depend very heavily upon memorization, the Word of God. And as I prepared to go out in the, the community with the tools of evangelism explosion, I had to memorize scripture. And to be honest, it was difficult for me. Close to 30 years ago. To memorize scripture even then. And as days go on, it becomes increasingly more difficult, it seems. But still possible. What I did then and what I continue to do now and what I encourage you to do is say, God, you have asked me to do this and commanded me to do it, to go into the world with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I must memorize the Scriptures. Now help me. Enable me to memorize even just a small portion. Jesus wept. And know where to find that in your arsenal. It can be done. I did it. Matthew's doing it. And some of you are even now doing it. When we do that, we have to understand how the world accepts that sort of activity. For the word of the cross is foolishness. But to those who are perishing... But to us who are being saved, what is it, Paul says? It is the power of God. More powerful than anything that any of us could ever imagine. See, the first thing we have to do when we start memorizing this word is be convicted and believe that the word of God is the word of God and believe in that word. Do you believe that this is the Word of God you have in your hands? From Genesis to Revelation, unless we believe that the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is an effective weapon in our battle gear, we will never pick it up. We need to begin with passages like this. But know this first of all. That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Now, this prophecy that's referred here is the Scriptures of the Old Testament particularly. But even those in the New Testament in the first century knew by God's grace that what they were recording was even then the Word of God. So Peter says, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul says much the same to young Timothy. When he reminds him, hey, from childhood, young man, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man and the woman of God, that the person of God, the believer in Christ, might be adequate, equipped for every good work. The first step in applying this offensive weapon is believing that this is the very word of God. Beginning to end, first to last, that it is an effective, offensive weapon. The second thing is meditate upon this word. The second step we have to take is meditation upon the word. And if you're like me, I mentioned a minute ago, your memory may be okay, it may be sort of good, but it's short. Yeah. When I started playing bagpipes, I had to stop and consider, you want me to memorize what? Now, if you've ever seen a bagpipe score of music, it seems impossible. But I, something that I have never seen is a bagpiper carrying around music that he looks at and plays, like I did when I was banned and played my clarinet, or when others of you played a flute or some instrument. Even a tuba has a place to attach music. So here's the way I attacked that problem. Note by note, phrase by phrase, line by line, score by score. And now I can pick up bagpipes and play mini tunes, even though I haven't touched the bagpipes in the past three or four, five or six months. Why? Because it's ingrained into my memory through repetition, repetition, and I almost forgot the third. Repetition, okay? Repeating. How does a seminary student memorize the catechism? Repetition. How does a student of any language memorize vocabulary? Repetition. And I would recommend taking bits of Scripture, reading it out loud, writing it on paper, because the more we see and hear and feel and touch and express that word, the more it's ingrained in the very fabric of our lives and our being. How did you memorize vocabulary for Hebrew? Repetition, repetition, repetition. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, is giving a, an anecdotal account about a senior devil writing to a junior devil, preparing him for his role in the world. And he says this, It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things in their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. 
So don't memorize the scriptures. And you're leaving yourself open for Satan's attacks. Our prayer should be that of the psalmist who writes, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is where? In the law of the Lord, the entire word of God. And in his law, what does he do? He meditates day and night. Oh, how I love your law, the psalmist says in Psalm 119. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they, your words, your commandments are ever mine. Three things we do. We are convinced that this is the Word of God. We meditate upon this Word. And then we keep our sword in its sheath. No. We apply the Word of God. Our only rule for faith and practice, we apply the Word of God to every situation that confronts us in this world. We bring Scripture to bear because we have now memorized it, hidden it in our hearts upon every situation that we are confronted with. Your word, the psalmist says, I have treasured in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Now remember I said. God never commands us to do something that Christ hasn't already done. The word of God. The living word. is active and sharper than any double-edged sword. That word that is used here for word in Hebrews 4 is that same word that Paul uses there in Ephesians 6. The word, the sayings, the scriptures, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The same word that he uses there for sword in Ephesians That small sword used to engage at close contact with the enemy and pierces as far as the division of soul of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of hearts and there is no creature hidden from him and his sight for all things are open and laid bare for which we have to do. There is nothing in the world seen or unseen that is more powerful than the word of God. So be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. You know, when we stop and think about it, just in in closing here, the whole armor of God points us to the one who is our salvation and our righteousness. We are told to put on the belt of truth. Christ is the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. We are told by Paul to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We're told to put on our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. We are told to take that helmet of salvation. Jesus Christ is our hope and our salvation. We are told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the living Word who was with God in the beginning. So all this means is By God's grace, when we take up the shield of faith in the one who is our shield, and we trust in Christ as our only hope for our salvation, we receive the full armor of God. We don't go out and do this on our own. We fight the battles that are here before us knowing that the great war has been won by the atomic power of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power of God's Word. But it is our responsibility to take up this armor, to put it on, so that we will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Heavenly Father, what we have before us seems impossible and yet we know Lord with you all things are possible as a matter of fact nothing is impossible with you our God so we come to you trusting wholly and completely that what you command us to do you will give us by your grace the power to do because you are a powerful and a mighty and a holy and a just God Father, you have called us soldiers into your army. You have given us the battle gear and the equipment. Now give us, Lord, the strength to go into all the world to proclaim the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and know that your word will never return void. We're thankful, Lord, that you are this God that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and by the power of your Spirit, we are made soldiers in your army. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.